0: Welcome, my friends, to Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat, the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about the peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up from them. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, and by the end of the show, we're going to find our sweet spot. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, how are you doing? And welcome to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. So today's guest is going to be Doug O'Brien, who's a master of all. We're going to talk about NLP, hypnosis, havening. Who knows where we're going to go? And sleight of mouth. All these things. Doug has so many years of experience. How you doing, Doug? How's it going? I am doing great. Things are good. I mean, I can't,
1: I can't ask for more. You know, my wife and I escaped to our little country house when COVID started. And um, I love it here. And it's tiny. It's a little tiny place, but it's ours. And um, I have a piano. And, and um, for years, I ran uh, long distance races, marathons and stuff, partially because I just wanted to be alone and <laughs> in nature. So I would go to the park and run around. And so now I just go out my front door and I've got nature out there. So I'm, I'm good. Thank you.
0: One of the things I'd like to talk to you about is the podcast is called Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. And I love that. That's great. You, you know me long enough that that it's just related to the way I speak, not necessarily about bringing a bat in, a, in terms of violence. I have
1: actually never actually seen you with a with a bat, so I can I can vouch for the fact that it is metaphorical.
0: Okay, well that's good. Thank you for vouching for me. I appreciate. <laughs> I do appreciate that. What I wanted to talk to you about was sleight of mouth, and. Oh. As really? we as we start talking about certain things, and I know that's one of your specialties that you've created or used all the knowledge that you've gathered over the years to put together something really cool.
1: I didn't create it, by the way. I didn't. It's, um, it was created by Robert Dilts, one of the NLP co-developers. Code mm-hmm. And I can tell you the story about it, where that comes from, if you want to hear it.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear about it.
1: All right. Well, you know how. Um, NLP, a lot of NLP is is derived from Richard Bandler and John Grinder, the two founders of NLP. Um, modeling the expertise of other people, like Milton Erickson, who does and hypnotherapy, and Virginia Satir, who did family therapy. They they would model them, see how do they do what they do that makes them so exceptional, and um, as much as they were able to, they were you'd, you know extract from their these, these exemplars' abilities, these, these, these methods of doing hypnosis that were uniquely Ericksonian, and they you know, made it NLP, and they took Virginia Satir's family therapy stuff and made it NLP, and, and they took uh, Frank Farrelly's provocative therapy and modeled it and made it NLP. So Robert Diltz was one of the co-developers, he was a student of these two guys, and seeing how they did that all the time. And then noticed how Robert, Richard Bandler himself had an expertise of persuasion. He was just this awesome persuader. He could persuade anybody about anything. He was just totally convincing. And so Diltz said, well, I'm going to model him. I'm going to model that ability to persuade. And uh, long story short, that's what Sleight of Mouth is. It's Robert Diltz's modeling of how Richard Bandler was so very persuasive.
0: Being persuasive is, is one of the parts of NLP, uh, and I know you're a master practitioner, and you teach the course.
1: Master trainer, actually, but who's counting? Yeah.
0: yeah. Go ahead. Well, if you're a master trainer, you must be a master practitioner. Oh,
1: that's true. That's true. <laughs> <Right? Yeah.
0: laughs> I know that uh, many people have taken your course, and the conversations that you and I have had, in, the books that you've suggested for me to, to read. How'd this all come together? If you were a pianist, uh, or you still are a pianist. Nobody's taken that away from you. How'd this all happen? I was a pianist. I was a,
1: I was playing rock and roll, actually, in New York City for a living, teaching piano at the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music. And um, And I had a, a girlfriend who, for some reason, got interested in this Tony Robbins stuff um, friends of our f- friends had told her about it, you know, this firewalking nonsense, and so she went off and did it. And then she had to get me to do it too. Back in the days, back in the early '80s, mid '80s, '85, '86. Tony, nobody knew who Tony Robbins was. He was an unknown person, um, but he modeled. He yeah, basically modeled the the methods of. Est the Werner Earhart stuff, Est, which is now called the Forum, and in those seminars, once you've once you've gotten a person to take the seminar, then you get that person to bring their friends and family to the next time it happens. So that's what Tony Robbins' marketing strategy was—you know, get people to bring their friends and family. So my girlfriend at the time set her sights on my taking that. <laughs> <laughs> so we did so. I think it was April of 1985, I took my first firewalk seminar, and and mostly just to get her off my back, you know, just shut up, will you, with this firewalking? And so I, I went to this first firewalk, and it was an introduction to NLP. Tony Robbins used this firewalk metaphor to teach how you can do things, change your state, change your um, ability and beliefs with NLP. You can even do crazy things like walk across hot burning coals without burning your feet. So it was a it was an introduction to this NLP stuff, and um, I was I was impressed. I thought it was really cool. So I did the whole not just the Friday night, but I stayed for the whole weekend. Did the whole bigger introduction to nlp which is what the weekend was and the reason they wanted to introduce you to nlp because their big ticket item was this nlp certification course where you could go for two weeks someplace and uh, learn everything you'd need to know to be an nlp practitioner certified by tony robbins so that's what i did the following year it was interesting because i didn't have any money i was a musician did i mention that so um had no money (laughs) but i kind of sweat equity, worked my way up to, you know, earning a ticket to And I uh, went and like I said, just kept going back, kept volunteering and, and uh, worked my way up and was, was smitten by it. I liked it a lot. So I kept going back and learning more. And by the, by the time I was there and um, at the certification, Tony Robbins had brought Richard Bandler to the training. It's like, who, who's this guy? Who, who's this guy doing Tony's Technology so well. I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> thought Tony made it up. I didn't know. Um, so there's Richard Bandler, the founder of it, and Robert Diltz, the co- de- co-developer of it. Amazingly, powerfully, effective people. But nothing like Tony at all. So I said, "Well, there's more to learn here. It's not just about you know doing what Tony does and emulating him." It's like finding what's the the core of it. What's the what's the structure underneath what these guys are doing, and finding you know basically my way of doing that. So um, I studied with those guys too. I went off and studied with Bandler. I Went off and studied with Diltz. I went off and studied with Dave Dobson, who's a hypnotherapist. Um, yeah, just it was a seminar junkie for a while. All things NLP, and the more that I studied NLP, the more it uh, led me back to its roots. Of Ericksonian hypnotherapy, and I fell in love with that, and still,
0: am. And, yeah, no, no, know. it's it's so powerful when you get to blend the two, uh, you know, or the, all the different techniques. It's not only two. There's so many different techniques, and I know you're a havening. Uh, um, well, they don't have master, but uh, you, yes, would, they, you, they would a, you would you um, would be you would be a master uh, <laughs> trainer as well for. Havening techniques. You're you're one of the uh, the OG, right? The the original gangster <laughs> uh, haveners. I, it, was,
1: it was early on, yeah. I it wasn't it wasn't the first training, but it was maybe the second training event of havening that I, I stumbled into and learned. It was amazing stuff.
0: What makes it so amazing for you?
1: It works basically. Yeah, it, it works remarkably well for re- removing traumas, removing. Uh, phobias, etc. cetera, um, it's kind of amazing. You know, with NLP over the years, I've been able to help a lot of people get over phobias and allergies and pretty amazing things as well. But I will say that when people would come in and say, can you help me cure this phobia or can you help me do this? I would usually say, yes, I can. But part of my brain would be going like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> pretty sure I can, but I usually can. Nine times out of 10, but there's always that 10th person always that 8th or ninth person that um, was hard and not necessarily successful but with Havening it just seems to work every time because Dr. Rudin has really kind of nailed it as to what is causing this where it is encoded in the brain and what you can do to change it so for me it just takes my confidence level to the next level if you will um, so that when I combine NLP hypnosis with the Havening techniques, it's just, uh, it's just uh, amazing.
0: So with Ericksonian hypnosis, I know yeah. there's different versions of hypnosis and, and we're not talking about, you know, stage show hypnosis where we're going to turn you into a goat. Uh, though you can, uh, I'm sure that you have that, that power if you wanted to. Uh, I've
1: turned I've many people into goats. Yes, yes, I have that power. It's a, it's a wonderful superpower. I, when they were handing out superpowers, it wasn't my first choice, but you know, it's what I got, so I can turn people
0: into goats. <laughs> uh, so, with, with the the with Ericksonian hypnosis, yeah. how does that differ from some of the other hypnosis? It's different
1: in some very, very uh, substantial ways, actually. In traditional hypnosis, which kind of derives from the work of uh, Franz Mesmer. Franz Anton mesmer was a, I don't know what he was. He was a person who did healing back in the uh, 18th century in France. He was from Austria, but he worked in France. And he did this thing that he, he referred to as animal magnetism. And he believed that he was able to change a person's animal magnetism um, through channeling that energy through his body. So he would channel this animal magnetism and and cure people. And in the process, they would usually go into these kind of ecstatic trances. People would be mesmerized. Uh, And then at some point, somebody said, well, there's no such thing as animal magnetism, so how does this work? And then they said, well, if there is no such thing as animal magnetism, and yet it does work, what's really going on here? So, frankly, that's a little similar to what Dr. Rudin did with tapping when he said, I don't believe in the, you know, quote-unquote science behind what the tapping people think they're doing, but something's happening. It's working. So that's, in a sense, what they did with what uh, this f- Scottish physician named James Braid did with uh, mesmerism. He said, I-, I don't think there's animal magnetism, but something's working. So maybe it's the suggestions. Maybe it's the state of mind that they put people into this m- doesn't necessarily have to be ecstatic trance but this sort of trance this focused state and then give them suggestions and it's turned out to work pretty well Erickson discovered early on in his life that people kind of live in trances we we exist in a trance and the unconscious mind is not something to be feared it's it's who we are and it's how we operate and we can you know learn to uh, direct our trances more uh, effectively, and so that we can become better, more effective human beings. But he also realized that stories have a power to them. So often when he would do, be doing his trances, he would tell stories and use metaphors to give the suggestions. So just, instead of saying, you know, as I count back from 10 to 1, you'll go deeper and deeper into trance. And then when I snap my fingers, you will be a non-smoker, you know, kind of thing. Instead of doing that, he would just tell stories about how people can change patterns rapidly i remember i had a client once who wanted to quit smoking now he'd tell stories about you know goats maybe but he'd tell stories and within those stories he'd give suggestions and uh it worked really well
0: what type of suggestions
1: like quit smoking damn it
0: like that i think that's That's a really good suggestion. suggestion there you go I'll stop smoking.
1: No, it, it, <laughs> it's working. Look, I haven't seen you smoke since. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, so yeah, like, you know, like like you can. Uh, yeah, it depends on what the person's coming for. It, it works for a whole lot of things. So the the idea is this: that what Dave Dobson referred to as the other than conscious mind, and Tony Robbins, you might have heard him if you do Tony Robbins' work at all. He uses that phrase, "other than conscious." It's it's. It's a phrase that Dave Dobson coined because he believed it was more accurate and more, um, what's the word, Uh, courteous to that part of our our being, our other than conscious mind. So it's not unconscious. You're not unaware of it. You're aware that you do these patterns, but we do them anyway. Well, we don't know why we do them,
0: right? We don't always know why we do those patterns.
1: I do them they just and kind if of, oh damn I did it again you know kind of thing. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. So er- Erickson would, you know, sometimes induce a trance directly and sometimes he would just tell stories that would induce the trance indirectly. But people would get into these trance-like states and then he would say, "Yeah, and sometimes you can quit smoking now." And give the suggestions in a kind of embedded command sometimes he would just tell a story about somebody who did quit smoking or he'd tell stories about people who quit eating carrots and then uh, he'd talk about about maybe a goat who quit eating um, tin cans you know and tell these metaphorical stories about somebody else who quit something that they didn't want to do and he'd sometimes tell two or three stories that are very similar to each other and then um, the person's other than conscious mind would sort of put one and one and one together and equal three and um it quit smoking without recognizing there's also he's very astute uh, observer of language milton erickson was so there's a thing called presuppositions in his language of his recognition so for instance there's a famous story where somebody came to him and said I don't believe in this hypnosis stuff. I don't think you can just, you know, put me in a trance and make me quit smoking. I've been smoking for years. I like smoking. I don't have any intention of quitting smoking. So Erickson looked at it and said, well, then how surprised will you be when you wake up tomorrow as a non-smoker? <laughs> and the man said, well, I will be very surprised. And he said, that's right. You may go now. <laughs> <laughs> And the guy quit smoking. And But what's embedded in that language is he didn't say, will you be a non-smoker? He said, how surprised will you be when you wake up tomorrow as a non-smoker? And the guy answered the question saying, I will be surprised. Right. So he's accepting this presupposition that I will be a non-smoker. And he was just talking about how surprised he'd be. I'll be very surprised. So he, he, he swallowed the, you know,
0: the bait, if the hook, you will. yep, yep. Some of our thinking, it's about changing our language. Uh, I always talk about language because there's the R in heart when I talk about it. The and, R in heart? Yep. This is always an R in your heart. No matter how you spell heart, there will always be an R in your heart. How about that? And for me, uh, I talk. that's what I talk about, rise, resilience. Recalibration is a, an R. So, yeah. you know, So there's lots of different pieces of that, and I always... Ask uh, most of my guests for what's an R that you might want to use.
1: Yeah, resiliency is great, isn't it? It's a, it's, a, it's a big thing and rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there's, there's there's there are thousands of R words that um, I'm sure are, are wonderful.
0: Yeah, the reason why I do it is uh, because when we spell it in English, there is an R in your heart. Uh, that's how it's spelt. But also because it's grounding. I I, I bring that. Uh, so earth and heart are the same letters arranged differently, of course. So I, I always try to ground everybody and remind people that when we're grounded, we can then f- focus on ourselves and how all the healing could come from within ourselves and then build outward. So that's really interesting. There's always a heart and art. So why is it important
1: to you, David, that there's always an R in heart?
0: Because uh, I, I like the, the, the play on that uh, earth and... Because I I talk about grounding in my own work. And also, uh, I like ours. Uh, There are ours. So when I talk about my Phoenix rise, I talk about the rise, the resilience, the rebirth. Or sometimes, as you know, when you work with somebody, you just have to reset. Right? Reset to normal. And go back to what your original programming is. right? Our original programming out of the box is let's just breathe, eat, and poop. Right. That's what we do as a baby. That's all the other programming becomes some of the obstacles that we have to overcome and some of the opportunities that we have to improve ourselves. So, David, you're bringing the bat
1: thing it reminds me a little bit about my friend um, Dan Milman's book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, mm-hmm. that the idea of um,
0: I think it was, who, was the, who was the which president was it that said uh Eddie Roosevelt. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, yeah.
1: Speak softly, but carry a big stick. Bring it back. Yeah. Dan Millman was like, you know, he was a peaceful warrior, but Mm -hmm. he was a warrior, you know?
0: you know, I I was uh, on a podcast and and I had somebody on my podcast whose podcast is called One Sharp Sword, and we started talking about it, and he goes, wow. So his sharp sword is, you know, again, you need to make sure you have the right resources, another R word, by the way. Mm Uh, that you want to use, and you need to have that, that the sharpness because you want to be cutting edge in, in his references, but you also mm-hmm. need to have, like for me, the, the bat is creating those boundaries, creating those non-negotiables that we need. So in a way to either attack or defend is a big difference, right? You could be a warrior in, in either way, yeah. and it's not only a warrior as being fighting something, to take something, it's also to protect what's yours and creating those boundaries. You're listening to Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat with me, Uncle Dave, Dave so I, I, I like That's why I like the, the Bring a Bat. Uh, I had been using that phrase for a while, and when I tried to k- come together with something, I was like, but I want to talk about peace and love. Uh, you know, I really like the spirituality pieces of it, and bringing in guests of the spirituality, that's what I was really looking to do, you know, go, go with it and, and help people find re- resources. And uh, that's why bringing on people like you who have been doing this for a number of years and have, you know, toads loads of experience, uh, not toads, uh, loads of experience. <laughs> uh, you might have a toad uh, since you are living in the country. <laughs> so, so you, you know, having that and letting people know that there's lots of different resources out there and there's not one way, because when I talk about my coaching practice, it's on the path. And as Ram Das says, I use over and over, we walk each other home. and But we all walk on a different path. We might be walking together, but it's your path is your path and my path is mine. So we just kind of learn that way. So that's where this all came up for me. That's cool. I like that. And it's also interesting, I, I like the...
1: Um... I always like the kind of duality of things. Like I used to sign off in the letters that I'd write. I used to sign off, to say, um, "Take care," and take risks. Yep. You know, not one or the other, but but both. You know, because we have to always want to be pushing our boundaries, and yet there are also boundaries. You know, there are those non-negotiables, as you'll put it. Um, I like the idea of uh, the Ericksonian notion of, of both and awareness. Right. Things can both be good and bad or off and on or you know, safe and risky at the same time.
0: Well, that's one of the things. So, so the gentleman, uh, Dr. Wayne Purnell, uh, who I interviewed, who the host of One Sharp Sword, that was his uh-huh. word. He said his R word was risk well. And he told us a story because you, you don't want to just stay in your box. You know, you want to take risks, but you also want to take calculated risks by education yeah. not just jumping off a, a bridge and going okay I hope that there's a something nice to land on or is my ankle attached uh, in a bungee cord uh, yeah. you would rather prepare that beforehand and risk yeah. well jump out of a
1: perfectly good airplane you know have
0: a well-packed parachute when you do so um,
1: yeah for sure for sure and it's also interesting that uh, that' kind of duality thing is um, Kind of how I live my life. There's a, a quote I had over my bulletin board for years, for many years. I don't have a bulletin board anymore, so I, I don't know where this quote ended up. It's probably in a storage unit somewhere. Um, COVID has changed things. <laughs> I've lost my office and you know things like that. So, but the quote is basically from the woman that started. The Shakers, the Shaker religion. I think her name was was Mother Ann Lee or Sister Ann Lee or something like that. Um, But the quote is basically this. She said, live your life as if you knew you must die tomorrow. And at the same time, as if you were going to live for a thousand years. And I like to think, and isn't it nice to know you can enjoy both at the same time? Because that idea of, you know, the Shakers... They're famous for what? Making great furniture, shaker, shaker chairs, shaker boxes, right? Because they made them well. They made them to last a thousand years and, and they will. Those shaker chairs will last, you know, a long, long time. Um, but to to have that balanced with, you know, knowing you're going to die tomorrow, you know, you, you you treat this moment as precious. You know, this is a, an Amazingly precious moment to be talking to each other on Zoom like this. This is an impressive, impressive amazingly impressive, uh, precious moment to be looking out the window and seeing trees and, and hearing birds and seeing the sunshine, and it's it's like amazingly precious. We'll never get this again. So I would love to be able to you know live my life as if I'm going to die tomorrow to appreciate all these things that are so precious, and also you know to do good work so that hopefully uh, leaves something of a legacy as if it could last for a thousand years.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and that's one of those, so I was going to ask you, that was uh, one of the things I talk about is the magic garden, planting the seeds in the magic garden. Those, And that's exactly what you just did. Uh, unintentionally or intentionally. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, just giving people the idea that, you know, we should in, embrace the every moment because we don't know what's going to happen next, uh, both good and bad. You could plant You know, shouldn't worry about chicken being chicken little and worrying about the sky is falling, but the sky could fall. <laughs> you know, and uh, but and that's why we do the best we can, and uh, that's that's one of those things that I I talk about when I when I do a lot of the charity work with uh, Goons for Good, and try to build off like let's just help people today. Who am I going to help today? And uh, through my travels, I, I had met Frank Shankowitz who created the Make a Wish Foundation just because he found himself in a position and he was like this can't happen again and you know hmm. he eventually turned it over to the uh, the corporation but still get, gave out throughout the rest of his life because yes. he felt everybody could do something towards helping each other out
1: That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: So I know you, you have a training by the time this recording is coming out it's going to be past but you also do have a bunch of trainings uh you haven't had any dates yet, but in the fall. So people. Yeah, I, I, I teach a variety of things.
1: I teach havening. I'm a havening trainer, as you said. So I do trainings. Most of them, interestingly, are online. Um, you know, you you know this, obviously. Um, prior to COVID, havening was primarily done with the havening practitioner applying the havening touch to the to the patient or, you know, client, however you want to put that. Um, so, you know, the, the havening practitioner would, would, you know, rub the person's arms from the shoulders down to the elbows, or they'd, you know, stroke their forehead, or they stroke their cheeks. You know, they would apply the havening touch to the person. Since COVID, of course, we don't do that. Everyone's you know, applies the touch to themselves, which is equally effective. You know, so you're stroking your own forehead, you're stroking your own cheeks, you're stroking your own arms, you're stroking your own palms of your hands for the havening touch um but you know like many things it's it's been wonderful to discover that you can have an incredibly effective training without having to leave home you know i've had people in my trainings from england and germany and you know it's it's great canada you know far away foreign lands um whereas before people would come to my trainings had to Pretty much either be new yorkers or willing to travel and rent a hotel in new york for a while so it, it makes it much easier so I, I do do trainings probably three four times a year in the havening techniques i have online trainings for hypnosis and online trainings for nlp and online trainings for sleight of mouth all those things so uh yeah it's it's been a, a real blessing it's hard, hard to me for me to imagine what. This COVID year would have been like if there was no Zoom. I mean, if there was no internet, and we just all had to stay home and like watch TV, which I know a lot of people did. But I mean, there was
0: if there was no mass communication, it'd be like, holy
1: crap! Yeah, <laughs> it would have been a very different year. I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, no, we definitely experienced it, and so that's why you you see this staying this way, at least in, in terms of your trainings, not necessarily. Uh, you're not looking to go back to live uh trainings
1: I, I i'm not looking for it at the moment in fact interestingly i was i was preparing to do mostly online trainings prior to covid before anybody had ever heard of covid um i was i'd, I'd gotten a, a stand-up desk i'd gotten you know the the webcam thing all set up i'd you know gotten a uh, URL for essentialcoachingskills.com and you know, I'd set things up at this place called Kajabi for uh, mm-hmm. online trainings, and um, I was all ready to go. And then suddenly it was like COVID stomped my my foot on the <laughs> accelerator pedal, it was <laughs> just like, Woo! Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly it was in hyper speed. It's like, How about now? Want to start now? How about? <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's sort of what happened. I was going through a bunch of challenges and then COVID hit. And the one thing that I personally feared was being alone. And guess what? I was stuck for a majority of my time alone, and which actually turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to me because that's what got me to focus on this podcast I've been talking about for a while and all these other pieces that have sort of fit in, including my TEDx and a bunch of books that are coming out in the fall. So it's right. uh, you know it, it's, it's what you take out of the experience and it's not just oh woe is me we, we all look at our opportunities in every experience that is presented to us. So right. as
1: you can probably tell, I, 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 I fancy myself as uh, enjoying humor. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if anyone else enjoys it with me but um, I, I like laughing a lot at things make fun of stuff. Um, one of my teachers, maybe it was two, I, I'm not sure actually how many of my teachers said this, but they said, you know, if you can laugh at your problem, then you've got it instead of it having you. And that's a, a big change. It may be subtle change, but it's actually a very big change because there's a big difference between it having you versus you having it. Correct. Don't you think?
0: Yep, No, definitely. And that's why... It's all about perspective. And when I talk about like filters, I, I think everybody has a filter. I'm a photographer. So I always talk about filters and I, I say the love filter. So I've, I've used the excuses uh, and examples of filters. That if you put on the right filter, you can see differently a situation that you might have experienced. And then because you're seeing it differently, you might react differently. You have the opportunity to act, react differently. And when we react differently, you get to change and be in more control of your experience. Yeah. Even, even something in the past, if you look at it slightly different, it's kind of... I always go, there's that meme about... Talking about the play Grease. If if, are you familiar with the play Grease? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they say that it's, it, it could be either as we've watched it for years, or it also could be a possible theory is that this was all a dream... Uh, for the Sandy character as she was dying. And it was all going on in her head. And some of it could filter into it, and some of it couldn't. But once you hear it once, you're like, huh. You start thinking about it, and how many times you might have watched it, especially it's been out for you know a number of years. And because it starts out, she was... If you remember them, do you remember the movie? Uh, I
1: I was just remembering the ending where they f- right. drive off, off into
0: the clouds. Exactly. So um, I don't remember how it begins though. How's yeah, how's it, it begins. They're, they're playing on the beach, and supposedly, with this theory, is that she fell in the water, she banged her head, and you know she almost drowned and stuff like that. And the rest of it all became, you know, a mirage or you know an imagination of, of her head. But that's sometimes what we do. As you know, with uh, NLP or hypnosis, right? Sometimes we tell ourselves stories, and then mm. we start believing them. It's a mo- it's a movie, right? Isn't that a that's one of the NLP techniques? Uh, you mm. know, going into the movie and kind of replaying that movie differently. Yeah, it's true. I had never heard that. That's interesting. I'll have to watch uh, Grease again someday. Yeah, <laughs> after you watch it, yeah, after hearing this and, and looking at some of the things, uh, I never could watch. Greece the same way, but I have a special relationship with Greece. I, it was one of those first movies that I, would, I watched multiple times uh, when I was young. When it, came, when it first came out, I was like 10 or, or, or something like that. That and Star Wars. Those were the two uh, big movies at that time. Well,
1: cool. Um, I, I have a friend who was Jewish, and they took their grandmother who'd grown up in Russia to see Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, thought you know she'd probably relate to it a lot because she grew up in a town that was very similar to you know uh yeah. in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. And so when the movie was over, they said, "So, Grandma, what did you think? Did it remind you of of home?" She says, "Yes, but I don't remember so much singing."
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a perfect answer. <laughs>
0: Is there anything you'd like to leave us with any other gems or seeds of knowledge you'd like to plant and see?
1: Well, I I don't know if there's anything that I, you know, have at the tip of my tongue that would be like the perfect closing seed planting, but I I do I do like that idea of planting seeds in this garden. Uh, I've often thought that that's in a sense what we do or I do with hypnosis anyway is to offer suggestions, offer seeds that be planted there that people can either take or not take. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not me making you cluck like a chicken or turn into a goat or anything like that, but just saying, listen, David, if you want to be a goat, you can be. If that's... <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be a goat or... <laughs> or not.
0: <right>? Or not.
1: <laughs> but seriously, the idea of... of uh, the other than conscious mind in, in hypnosis, is is I think a really important one because different from Freud, different from old ways of thinking that where the, your unconscious mind was a seed of or uh, uh, a hotbed of seething un, unrealized desires, like you know to be with your mother and whatever, blah blah blah. It's it's not that. That's not it's, You don't have to be afraid of your unconscious mind. What you want find is a way of, of be, having a greater rapport and a greater integration and um, connection with your unconscious mind. So for a long time, I used to do hypnosis every day. I used to do self-hypnosis daily, um, sometimes twice or three times a day. But uh, for sure once a day. I, I had a rule for myself that I would do self-hypnosis, that um, no trance, no breakfast is the way I put it because milton erickson once said that people become patients because they're out of rapport with their own unconscious mind
0: Mm.
1: and so to me the the way of you know healing and the way of getting better if you will was to sort of just turn things over to the unconscious for a while the other than conscious and, and let it drive the bus for a bit say yeah i'd like to go that way um
0: but you know, yeah, I think that's great uh, because I always talk about. I call it the subconscious, or the whatever. You know, it's the it's the self. Uh, when I when I talk about it, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's the our conscious protects us in lots of ways, but it's that subconscious or you know, self conscious uh, is where all the magic happens. That's where the, the the games go and the the playing gets to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, that's what I'd leave you with is that you know. Develop a, a, a process whereby hypnosis can be, or meditation, whatever you want to call it, where you you know turn things over to your unconscious, other than conscious, subconscious, self-conscious, however you put it, um, on a regular basis, and to have a greater rapport with that and a ease and a connection with it because you are your unconscious mind as well as your conscious mind, and it's all nice. And isn't it nice to know that you can enjoy both at the same time?
0: Yep. and that's it uh, and that was exactly what I was going to say it Was because make sure that we have a rapport with ourselves because a rapport with ourselves definitely will lead you to peace and love once you can make that peaceful rapport with, it, with yourself but when you need to bring a bat bring a bat but make sure it's nonviolent. and also know what your non-negotiables are and have a great day I'm really glad that you're enjoying our show Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. Executive produced by David Chemetsky and George Andriopoulos. Music selections by James Grant, Zach Nelson, and James Gaither, and licensed through Storyblock. Sound effects and sponsorship music licensed through Epidemic Sound. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is hosted with Podbean. Subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with all of your friends. Follow us on Facebook at Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Follow me, Uncle Dave, Dave Chemetsky, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. You can find all those links and more info at davidchemetsky.com. For show ideas, feedback, guest inquiries, or just a chat, reach out to me at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. For sponsorship and media inquiries, reach out to peacelovebringabat at lp516.com. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Today's journey has come to a close, my friends. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember that peace and love surrounds you and will assist you to rise again. But don't forget to bring it back for what you believe in. Namaste.